Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, called The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away. Here we're in Hebrews chapter 6, the case of those who have fallen away, Hebrews chapter 6. So let's open our Bibles there. Once you have it, if you're able to stand with us, stand for the reading of God's word, if you would. Hebrews 6, we're picking picking it up at verse 4 and reading to verse 12. Hebrews 6, 4 through 12. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come, 6-6, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless, close to being cursed, and ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust, verse 10, so as to forget your work, and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. You can have a seat. Let's pray a prayer together. Father, thank you for your living word. A few chapters ago, we learned that it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from your sight. Everything is open and laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account. And the one to whom we must give an account is our great high priest, who ran the race, finished the work, is our great advocate on high, is cheering us on, is empowering us to run the race and finish well. And we have a lot of things that come at us, Lord, and a lot of temptations that would vie for our attention. And so I pray that we would not be sluggish in our faith, that we would be diligent, that we would run with endurance the race marked out before us as we fix or refix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. May you be glorified in the time we have ahead of us. Give us understanding and application to your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Before you tonight is probably one of the hardest texts that 
theologians and other students of the Bible have wrestled with over the years, at least in the New Testament. It has brought a host of uh, controversy in the sense that there are people who take different positions. This is a, a place in scripture that's brought out questions about eternal security. Can a believer lose their salvation? Who is this group that's being addressed? And how could it be that it would be impossible to renew any group to repentance, whoever they may be? Some years ago, I was in the church parking lot at a church in Orange, and a wide-eyed young man came up to me and my friend. We were both young pastors. And he said, I think I've lost my salvation. I think I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we said, what happened? Oh, what, what's going on? And he said, I heard a sermon in Hebrews chapter 6. And I think I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so we tried to dig a little and find out exactly what was going on. And he had heard someone preach on Hebrews 6, conclude that the group uh, impossible to renew to repentance again was those who had committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that. And he thought he had committed the sin and his soul was destined to doom because he couldn't be renewed again to repentance because it was impossible. And so it's all over, game over. What do we do now? And we're like, we don't know. <laughs> no, just kidding, we didn't do that. We didn't say, rots a ruck, see you later, you know. So we began to kind of just dig down a little bit. And, you know, he did one of those things where I, I had a thought enter my mind. And I think it was blasphemous against the Holy Spirit. And am I doomed? And one of the things that you'll often hear pastors and Bible commentators say is, if you're concerned about it, you probably haven't committed that sin. I'm not even sure that sin can be committed by believers right now. I think it was relegated to the first century where Pharisees were attributing the delivering power of the Christ to Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And so that's kind of a side note for tonight. But I will tell you that this text has caused many to lose sleep at night. It's caused some division. It's caused deep questions. And you could probably read a myriad of commentaries on this, and you may not get a consensus on it, and you may be more confused after you read them. And so the question is, how do we understand uh, such a, a section of Scripture? Well, I've called this the case of those who have fallen away. What I'd like to do is read the first couple of uh, Bible uh, verses together. We'll move a little bit slowly. I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps tonight. We'll dig a little bit deeper into some things that might stretch your brain a little bit, but that's okay. Let's just focus on the first three verses. Notice the writer says this, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, whenever you're reading a text of Scripture, one of the basics of Bible interpretation is to know who the original audience was. The original audience of the letter to the Hebrews was likely a early group of Jewish 
believers who had professed faith in Christ, many commentators believe that they dwelt in Rome in a small little church in Rome. Persecution was building in the Roman world and it was building towards Jewish people who had professed faith in Christ and were experiencing maybe being disowned by their family, excommunicated from business with friends because they had claimed Jesus as Messiah And that wasn't necessarily popular in a lot of circles. So they found themselves in a tough spot. At this point in history, I think the consensus of scholarship is that Hebrews is written in the 60s. So the temple in Jerusalem still stands. Animal sacrifices are still going on. The whole system of the feast days sacrifices, and you name it, are still happening. Animals are dying. Blood is being shed. And Jewish, uh, let's just say those who practice Judaism are relying upon that system to find some sort of covering for their sin or some sort of uh, being made right again with God through the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, etc. That's the original audience to whom the writer writes. Now, he writes five things about this group that we need to mark. In the case of those who have, number one, they were once enlightened. Number two, they had tasted the heavenly gift. Number three, they had become, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Number four, they had tasted the good word of God. And number five, the powers of the age to come, they had tasted that as well. So you can see some significant things about this group of people. If you just read on the surface those descriptions of this group of people, it would be hard to deny that they're believers. I mean, those five descriptions would probably describe most of us who are believers in the room, and we would all be rejoicing in those things. So let's talk about three major views, and we'll come back to those five things in a second. So there are three major views as to who this group is or who the writer is talking about. Number one, some believe this is hypothetical. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three groups to write down for your notes. The first view is a hypothetical group. You say, what does hypothetical mean, Pastor Michael? It means theoretical or imaginary. This group argues that this is a situation that has never existed. Therefore, a warning against a sin like this is impossible to commit. They believe it's just simply a hypothetical what-if warning, and it can't really be committed And it's based upon, partly upon, the New King James and King James and other uh, uh, modern versions that add the word if to verse 6, if they fall away. But in the original Greek, if you look at the original language of the New Testament, the word if is not there. The New American Standard probably is the best rendering of it, and it says, and then have fallen away. So, This first group might say, well, it's an if situation, it's hypothetical, and it's a warning to keep Christians from apostatizing or falling away, but it's it really couldn't happen. It's imaginary. I don't know why a writer is warning people about something that can't happen. 
Do you? <laughs> I mean, that's just a question I would ask. If it's just simply hypothetical, if you can't commit the sin, then why has the writer spent so much time on people who fall away? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Would you please consider supporting Walk in Truth being on this radio station and podcast for at least $5 a month? And visit walkintruth.com to give. As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team. And you will get this content through our new Walk in Truth app. You will have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons and access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. This month's series is called An Invitation to Intimacy, a look at intimacy in marriage through the Song of Solomon. That's how I showed my anger. Mm. Not in words, but in, you can't have me. Mm. And that took a toll in our relationship. Even for me, in a church that didn't shy away from it, it wasn't talked about a ton, but I remember getting married and my wife and I being like, this is weird. Like, so it's good now, I guess. (laughs) There was infidelity. Just a lot of financial issues, you know, all those things that make the top list of, of yes. why a marriage is hard. The Lord's given us all things to enjoy, yeah. the scriptures say, and freedom is a big word yeah. as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what's happened in the church is that the church has not always sent a message that we're supposed to enjoy life and be free. Yeah. We've put a lot of unnecessary weights on people. All this and more is available to you on our new Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your financial gift. Please become a financial partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Modern versions that add the word if to verse 6, if they fall away. But in the original Greek, if you look at the original language of the New Testament, the word if is not there. The New American Standard probably is the best rendering of it, and it says, and then have fallen away. So, This first group might say, well, it's an if situation, it's hypothetical, and it's a warning to keep Christians from apostatizing or falling away, but it's, it really couldn't happen. It's imaginary. I don't know why a writer is warning people about something that can't happen. Do you? (laughs) I mean, that's just a question I would ask. If it's just simply hypothetical, if you can't commit the sin, then why has the writer spent so much time on people who fall away? And for that matter, why are there other verses in the New Testament about the danger of apostasy, right? Doesn't make any sense. If the, if the warning's not real, then why, why put pen and ink to it? Number two, view. This is an actual group of people You could say hypothetical, actual, number two. And this would fit with a camp called those who are in the Arminian and possibly even in the Lutheran camp. They say those who fall away are actual bona fide Christians who have once been saved and abandoned the faith they once held in Christ. If you walk away from Christ, then... 
Since Christ is salvation, they would argue, you walk away from your salvation. And some of you have heard the terms Calvinism and Arminianism. Have you guys all heard those terms before? So in Calvinism, one of the major tenets of it is the perseverance of the saints. All the elect, they say, will be saved and they will persevere. Those who are in the Arminian camp, and this is basically from a a guy back in the 16th century who was arguing back and forth with the other camp. Uh, This view just basically says believers can apostatize, which is not an Italian pasta dish. It actually means you could walk away. And they would probably say something like this. They would say, this is not a, a genuine struggle with sin or sometimes struggling with some forms of hypocrisy. This is a person who decides that they no longer want to follow Christ and even becomes an enemy of the gospel. And certainly we can see that there's cases in the scripture. We have Demas in 2 Timothy 4 who was in love with the world and he had abandoned his faith. We have, you know, uh, cases like Simon Magus in Acts chapter 8, who was, uh, you know, called the great power of God, and he believed and was baptized, but the evidence is that his heart was wrong, and he may not have had saving faith. And then the third group is, this is an apparent uh, group of people. This would be the Calvinist group. This third view would hold that those who fall away uh, were or are not true believers. They were never really Christians. They're the apparent Christians. Hypothetical, actual, apparent. Number three. And these are people, men and women, who only appear to be Christians. They've been uh, thoroughly exposed to the gospel. They've made perhaps a profession of faith. They've been received into the fellowship of God's people. However, at some later point, they abandoned that profession, perhaps even became opponents of Christ, but they were never truly born again. And one of the faces that would come to our minds immediately of a person like this would be Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was with the apostles. He was one of the 12. But Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. And he said of Judas, it would would have been better for him had he never been born. Now, Judas was the ultimate actor. He was the ultimate hupakritas. We talked about this on Sunday. He was the ultimate. He was playing a role, but he was never committed to the Lord. And this third group would be something like that, a, a phony. Let's look at the five things that we've learned about this group, five descriptive clauses. They had once been enlightened. What does that mean? Fotizo is the Greek word. It means that the light of the gospel had shined upon them. They knew the gospel. They had knowledge of the one who is the light of the world. They had the light of the gospel Uh, this had shined upon them. There's no doubt they had the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, the resurrection, etc. They had tasted the heavenly gift. I'm moving through the first verses we've read together. Tasting of the heavenly gift could be the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gift of salvation or specifically the gift of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the Holy Spirit will be mentioned next. So they say, 
this would be a group of people who have tasted the heavenly gift in the sense that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, some people argue that the word taste here is used in Matthew 27 when Jesus tasted the sour wine, which was supposed to deaden your pain, but he didn't take it in. And they say that these people are simply those who have tasted almost like maybe licking on a lollipop. They tasted it, but they never consumed it. Like Jesus tasted the sour wine, but didn't drink it. They've had a taste of these things, but never fully consumed the things of God. And this would be in the camp of those who think these are apparent Christians. Camp number three. And so, but the word is also used in Hebrews 2.9. Just flip over a few pages in your Bible and you'll see it talks of Jesus who was made a little, uh, for a little while lower than the angels. Hebrews 2.9, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might do what? Taste death for everyone. That's the same Greek word. And if you look a little bit harder at the uses of this word, it does mean to eat. It can mean to consume something. It, it doesn't simply mean that you just did a little taste of something and spit it out or something like that, which I never do personally. I mean, unless it's like sauerkraut or something like that, right? I'm taking it in, baby, right? So anyway. Now, the third description of these people, it gets even stronger, is that they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. This could be in the company of others, but they have experienced the power of the Spirit. Skipping down to verse 5 of Hebrews 6, they've tasted the good word of God. Notice how the word of God is called God's good word. In Jeremiah 29.10 and 33.14, the good word of God is linked to specific promises of God. So they've tasted the word of God the power of God, and notice this final description about them, the fifth description, even experience the powers of the age to come. Some would say the age to come is maybe the millennial reign of Christ. Others would say the age to come is the new covenant age or the age that Jesus ushered in when he was doing miracles on the earth. How many people saw Jesus open blind eyes, uh, heal those who were lame, unstop deaf ears, and even raise the dead. Did all those people who experienced the power of the ages to come believe? Did the Pharisees believe when Lazarus was raised from the dead? No, they plotted how they could kill both Lazarus and Jesus. Just because the power of God was on display didn't convert people. And so you can see both camps here. One camp says, how could, how could someone experience those five things and not be a true Christian? And the other camp says, well, there were people who, you know, experienced the power of God, right? They saw Jesus heal. They, they knew he raised the dead and yet they still condemned him. So I don't know that we've settled the argument even with these amazing descriptions of the power of God, the power perhaps of the future age. Uh, these powers may confidently be identified with the signs, wonders, and miracles mentioned in Hebrews 2.4. Judas went around with Jesus for three and a half years. How many miracles did Judas witness? He heard Jesus preach how many times? Judas went out 
They went out two by two and he was preaching the gospel and laying hands on people and maybe some of the heavenly power coursed through Judas. But Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father and who, who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare, Matthew seven twenty three, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity or practice lawlessness. You've been listening to The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 6, 4 through 12. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station. If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Just a reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast to reach more people like you with the hope of Jesus. And now we offer the Walk in Truth app as a thank you for your donation. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 6, 4 through 12, called The Case of Those Who Have Fallen Away. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.